Welcome to The Big Idea. I'm Douglas Kerr. Genomics is one of those subjects most of us know something and nothing about, though we know it to be one of the most exciting, revolutionary, and sometimes controversial areas of scientific inquiry. In one sense, genomics is part of the information age. It's a way of understanding life itself as a fabulously complex information system. You need only look at your family photographs to see how some kinds of information, like hair colour, for example, or the shape of a nose, can be transmitted from one generation to another. Vulnerability to certain diseases may be hereditary too. But what does this information consist of? Where is it found? How is it transmitted? And can it perhaps be altered? The Human Genome Project set out to draw a map of the complete set of genetic information for humans. Genomics is already contributing to advances in the treatment of disease and the understanding of evolution. But it's a form of knowledge that can create anxiety too, centering around deep-set fears about the dangers of interfering with the processes of nature. To learn more about genomics, what it does and what it may do in the future, I'm joined by two of Hong Kong's leading scientists. Professor Choi Lap Chi, the 14th Vice-Chancellor of the University of Hong Kong, is a former president of the Human Genome Organization and co-founder of the Centre of Applied Genomics in Toronto, where his team identified the defective gene that causes cystic fibrosis. Professor Pak Sham, a clinician of the Hong Kong University Lee Ka Shing Faculty of Medicine, is chair professor of psychiatric genomics. Um, Chanak Chi, let's begin with a definition. I want really to ask you what a gene is. Now, early work on what we now call genes was done by Gregor Mendel in the 19th century, and he was studying how certain characteristics or traits were inherited from parent organisms, right, and working with peas, I think. Okay, so the question is, what is a gene? You can say gene is the um, smallest unit of instruction for a form of activities, life activities, for an organism. So um, it is usually in the form of um, DNA. So sometimes when you talk about genes, you all of a sudden switch to DNA. Okay, so it's a packet of information. Correct. And what you say in the form yes. of like a sentence written in DNA codes in an organism's uh, so genome. Right? So, for example, a simple organism may have a few genes, like a virus, but the uh, complex organisms, like a human being, may have uh, twenty or 30,000 genes. So everything that's living has genes. That's so correct. People, animals, and plants, plants and vegetables, bacteria, and, and everything. And the virus. Yes. Okay. And this consists of, uh, am I right in saying code? It's, a, it's, a, 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 it's encoded in the form of DNA. DNA, like a sentence, why English uses 26 alphabets, mm-hmm. but DNA uh, uses only four alphabets. So the four alphabets, uh, they will not come with any punctuation either. Right. So therefore, the information is all embedded 
the punctuation, the control mechanisms, everything is embedded in this so-called DNA sequence. And the uh, genes could be uh, large or small. Some of the gene ins- genetic instructions could be uh, huge in size in terms of uh, bits of information, but some rather simple. So depending on the organism, and then, the, uh, as I said, there's some viruses that only maybe three genes. That's why viruses have to require uh, the other the living organisms. They have to live inside another cell in order to function. Okay. Uh, I, I understand this stuff about the information packet, pa- packages, but f- where are these packages? I mean, in, in my body, in my finger, ah. do I have all, all my genes in, in my finger? Yeah. Your genetic information in, in, in every single cell of your body. Okay, some cells may have lost its uh, genetic instruction, mm-hmm. but uh, before they also had the same instruction. Uh, at birth, you have a, uh, a single fertilized egg, and this information could pass on from one cell to two so-called daughter cells, and right. then four, eight, and so on and so forth. And then where you get the information, you get it from your parents. Your parents will give you all this genetic information, and then you in turn pass on this in- information to the next generation. So the the genes inside my cells, each cell of my body having the complete book. That's correct. That's why I said the uh, you, you have a whole set of uh, uh, genetic information in each uh, every one of your cells. But then when uh, a particular gene is active or not active, there are regulatory mechanisms, control mechanisms. So sometimes I compare a cell like uh, an orchestra. So an orchestra may have 200 players, but inside your cell you have uh, (laughs) 30,000 players, musicians, so to speak, playing. So when to play, when to be active, when not to be active, depending on the type of cells in the body. And so it depends on the time of the growth of an organism. Of course, you can isolate the DNA out from a cell, and sometimes we call it cloning. You can actually put a piece of human DNA into a bacterial cell and have this piece of DNA replicate and multiply inside a bacterial cell. And DNA definitely is a molecule. It's a polymer made of uh, four letters. Okay, right. we say the four letters being A, C, G, and T. They have longer chemical names. Right. But you have only four letters to spell out the chemical spelling of your genetic material. So this material, which is encoded into the physical stuff of my body, I inherited from my parents. Okay, let's get on then to the question of inheritance. And so, so the gene is basically the instrument or the, the carrier of evolution. Is that right? Right, yes. That is the gene-centric view of evolution. First of all, let's talk about selection, okay? Mm-hmm. And then we'll come on to the gene-centric view later because that's a slightly more controversial. Sure, sure. So let me ask you, Pat, to, to explain, if you can, how the selection process works in inheritance. Well, selection works because there is random variation between individuals. And 
animals and plants, when they reproduce, they generally produce far more offspring than who will survive into adulthood and reproduce. So that means there is a struggle for existence and reproduction, and only the individuals, the offspring, which are most adapted to the environment, will survive. And over time, the individuals who survive and reproduce will be the ones that are more adapted to the environment. More adapted to, to the environment. Suppose I'm a, a tulip, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. I'm some kind of plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I produce an, an excessive number of offspring because this mm-hmm. is how nature works, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I produce too many. Um, and, and only a very few of them will actually survive and, and reproduce themselves. Right. This excessive number of offspring that come from this tulip, mm-hmm. are they all different or are they all the same? They are essentially all different (laughs) because during meiosis, which is the cell division that gives rise to gametes, to sperms and eggs, Mm -hmm. they are random processes, basically taking a random sample of 50% of the genetic material from the parent. Mm. And so when two gametes fertilize, each having... 50% of the genetic material of each parent, the resulting individual will be unique. It's very unlikely statistically for two individuals to have exactly the same genetic material. The only exception is identical twins. So identical twins are offspring who are developed from the same fertilized egg. So... Um, they are genetically identical. They have the same the same orchestra members playing the same tune in their mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in their genetic makeup. Yeah, but, but sorry, Kalin uh, here. Yeah. Uh, you may have uh, so-called mutations because when DNA replicates itself, uh, once in a while there are errors. So uh, when errors come, then uh, error come in, they, they become mutations of the new organism. So the organism uh, may carry this mutation if they are better mm. in a, a new environment than they survive. If they are not as competitive, and they will not survive and disappear. Mm. So I think when, when Pack was talking about, in general, mm. the uh, normal inheritance of right. genes from parents, mm-hmm. that's fine, but then the, the random assortment and all that. But then when it comes to mutation, that's where evolution comes in as a new species that arise. And then adaptation, when the new species come in and more adapted to a new environment, and they survive. Exactly. So uh, Darwin himself was not aware of genetics because no. he didn't know about Mendel's work. Yeah. So for him, the variation was rather vague, the source of variation but of course, we now know that genet- genes, DNA is the genetic material, and the ultimate source of variation is mutation. <coughs> the gene centric, I, I wanted to ask you more about this, Pat, because um, this is a, a theory associated with Richard Dawkins, am I right? Right, yes. The, um, the selfish gene? Yes. Okay, can book. you explain? This is a theory of how evolution works. Yes, it's um, a theory of how. Evolution works in in that it is the gene that is the basic unit of um, evolution that um, 
it is the gene that is replicated and that can survive the individual. So the gene can be propagated to other individuals and genes that improve the survival of the individual it resides in tend to become more numerous in the population, so it increases in frequency, whereas genes that causes the individual to be less well adapted will decrease in frequency. So evolution, seen in that sense, is change in frequency of genes, of mutations. See, this, this is something which it's quite hard for a, a non-specialist to get their mind around because it's quite easy to understand survival if it's a particular animal struggling for territory and, and mm. Um, mm-hmm. mates and, and so on. But this idea is that the the organism is just the carrier. It's just the kind of vehicle. Yes, that is the view of um, Richard Dawkins. Yeah. And he has a term which is that we are the survival machine of the gene that at the beginning genetic material was the basic uh, material of life and the genetic material began to assemble a machinery around it, proteins, cell membranes, and so on. And then genetic material which built better machines around them began to survive and reproduce better. And this process carried on until very sophisticated living organisms evolved, like ourselves. See, this, this is a strange, seems to be a strange kind of upside-down theory, the idea that the gene itself has an, has an interest in survival. It's looking after its own interest. Yes, it is um, Richard Dawkins' uh, metaphor. Yeah. Of course, the gene has no consciousness. It is just that. But it has a kind of will. The, the gene wants to survive. It is more that if it didn't survive, it wouldn't exist <laughs> because it would have been um, out-survived yeah. by genes that were okay. better at building survival machines. What do you think about this, Lapchi? What, what? No, it is, a, um, of course, it is a philosophical thinking uh, about genetics, about genes and so on. I think um, deep down, I mean, uh, who's driving uh, home? I think that's uh, always depending on the environment, right? Mm. So if a particular gene could be um, uh, better in, uh, in in one environment but then move it to a different environment, it would not work. I think, therefore, I think, uh, I think uh, Richard's idea is just uh, how uh, the, the genes uh, can actually be the, the center of, of all life. And, of course, we know that uh, uh, life activities are determined by genes. Mm. So he just turned this other the way around. Just a different way of describing. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a philosophy. Uh, until mm. you really understand <laughs> evolution and everything, uh, it's just a very interesting way of uh, stimulating discussion. Um, let's move on to DNA. You mentioned DNA. Uh, we had Mendel with, with his peas in the middle of the 19th century. Then about 100 years later, Watson and Crick in Cambridge in the 1950s and we all, we've all we all heard about them and what we know about them is that they've discovered DNA. Did they actually discover DNA? Well, actually, DNA was discovered way before that. Ah. Um, they knew that DNA was a genetic material mm-hmm. 
and then how the information could be transmitted from one. Uh, in those days, they used uh, very simple organisms that kept on going back to uh, viruses or bacteria. Mm-hmm. So because they, this is a study material then, because these organisms uh, replicate faster and are easy to, to recognize the okay. results. Anyway, uh, but no one actually knew how DNA could replicate itself and to become, say, in two daughter cells, as mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. And then the mechanism, everything was not explained until the structure of DNA was resolved. And that wasn't in Crate. Uh, they uh, credited for the discovery of the DNA structure, not discover of DNA. But this once is- the DNA structure was resolved, and then all the other mechanisms could be easily explained. So this is the famous double helix, is that The right? double helix, that's correct. Uh, can you... I'm sorry, what is the double helix? This is what the DNA look. If we could see it, it would look like a double yeah, like spiral. A, uh, yeah, it's a, like a staircase, a double mm-hmm. helix. And then the um, just to talk about one single uh, piece of uh, sort of scientific uh, information, that is the... Well, I talked about A, C, G, and T, mm-hmm. right? And then in the DNA molecule, how does it replicate itself? It's really based on the pairing of A pairing with T and C pairing with G. So therefore, the double helix has a structure of anti-parallel. So when one (laughs) instruction you read from one end to the other is A, G, C, T, and you read from the other end is A, C, A, G, C, T. I mean, okay. Now, as I said earlier, it's A pairing with T, and that's explained how DNA can replicate because Mm. when you have a parental strand, of A sitting here, the immediate T would pair with it, and the C sitting there, and G would pair with it. Mm-hmm. So therefore, a, a long DNA molecule could be replicated uh, with, uh, of course, by uh, some protein uh, mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that uh, inher- uh, explain quite a lot about inheritance, replicate DNA replication, replication of genetic material. Okay, and if we were on TV, you would be able to see turn up to you miming the double helix at <laughs> the table. Okay, very good. Now, uh, I, I wanted to ask you about your, your own work because you, you've contributed very significantly to the understanding of genomics. Um, and in particular, I, I mentioned uh, in the introduction uh, over the cystic fibrosis uh, discoveries that were made by your team. Can you just explain briefly what, what you did and what you found out? Okay, in uh, 25 words or less. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, you better tell us what cystic yeah. fibrosis is. Cystic fibrosis is a, a recessive genetic disease, mm-hmm. meaning that the parents who are carriers uh, for this disease would not know they were carriers mm-hmm. until they have children with the disease. So the parents don't show... They don't show any symptoms right. of the disease. Mm-hmm. Now, the cystic fibrosis affects uh, mainly children because the, the seriousness of the disease could be recognized when they were young. First is the uh, uh, CF uh, patients who have trouble digesting food Mm -hmm. because the um, enzymes they produce for digestion in the guts um, could not get to the place that require the enzymes. And then then when the patients get older, when uh, nutrition is looked after, then uh, doctors discover that the patients would die of a lung infection. Now, because of the mucus, the heavy mucus in the lung, the fluid secretion in the lung uh, is uh, quite imbalanced. 
Okay. Uh, therefore, they have bacteria growing in their lungs, and finally they succumb to infection. So as a geneticist, we went in to, uh, to study genes. We follow uh, the, the, the families, follow the, what we call pedigrees, mm-hmm. and then using the molecular biology, gene cloning, and so on. And finally, identify the gene uh, on one location of the human genome that's on chromosome 7, and finally went in there to, to identify this is a gene. If it mutates, it will cause cystic fibrosis. Does that discovery help doctors to deal with cystic fibrosis? That's, that's right. I mean, first of all, when you know the basic defect of disease, uh, then the doctors can hone in to, uh, to design treatment. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for genetic disease at the beginning, uh, gene therapy was a very simple uh, idea but it proves to be very difficult for this particular disease. To put it aside, now there are actually specific drugs to treat cystic fibrosis patients. Not all the patients. There are certain mutations in a gene uh, that could be, uh, the effect could be reversed by using small molecules and by using uh, chemical libraries. (laughs) Sorry Mm -hmm. to use another term here. The scientists can identify small compounds they can actually reverse the activities of the mutated uh, CF gene product. So you're actually getting into the genetic material and changing it. We're not changing the genetic material. We're changing the, the product of the gene. The, 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 the product of the cystic fibrosis gene is, uh, is a, what we call as a chloride channel. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a small, porous uh, protein Mm-hmm. sitting on the membrane of a cell that would allow uh, uh, chloride ion to go in and out of the cell. Therefore, it also controls fluid secretion and all that. So that small change uh, on the cell membrane it causes uh, such a big problem in, in, in cystic fibrosis patients. And now knowing this uh, change, uh, the, the mutated protein, then a small molecule can be added back to the patient and the small molecule can go inside a cell and correct the, the defect. It sounds amazing, right? So, mm-hmm. in fact, mm-hmm. there's a, we listened to that, and, and I sort of understood it. But this, in a way, is quite simple because Lachi's talking about an organic condition, an illness, and uh, and things can be done about it. But you are the chair of psychiatric genomics. Mental disorders are essentially disorders of brain function. So they're chemical. Chemical, yes. But of course, the brain is influenced by the environment, mm-hmm. by um, one's upbringing, by stress and adversity, and whether one has social support and so on. The, so, sorry, when, when you say the, the brain, two, you mean the organic brain is influenced by, by experience experiences? Of, yes, right, yes. Okay. You're not talking about trauma, I mean, physical trauma but you're talking about things like unhappiness, stress. Yes, stress and um, psychological factors do influence neurotransmitters in the brain. Um, In fact, um, genetic research, uh, the demonstration that there is a heritable component in psychiatric disorders helped to shift the emphasis of um, psychiatric research from purely psychological factors to mm. include biological factors. But of course, now we recognize that both are important, whereas 
back in about 40 years ago, psychological theories were very dominant and biological factors were under-researched. So what your field of knowledge contributes, presumably in in a practical sense, would be contributions to drug therapy uh, to help people with mental disorders? Yes, eventually, yes. Um, I mean, it has taken a long time because psychiatric disorders have very complex genetic uh, determinants. It's not a single gene disorder like cystic fibrosis, but uh, polygenic and multifactorial, meaning that there are many genes that are involved and Mm -hmm. each of those having a small effect. And it has taken taken a long time um, before it has been possible to identify some of the individual genes involved. What do you actually look at in your laboratory? We analyse the genetic material from large samples of patients and control subjects who don't have a condition and compare the two sets to find variants which are overrepresented in the patient group compared to the general population controls. I guess it's not very easy to predict where the field is going, but would you have a go? In 10 years' time or 20 years' time, what sort of major discoveries might we look forward to? I think, um, of course, uh, when we study genetics, we always talk about health and diseases. Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, I think in, um, in 10, 20 years' time, uh, we should know more about the uh, very difficult diseases like Pack talked about. Mm-hmm. And here we just uh, know the really very surface of uh, single gene diseases. Even uh, cystic fibrosis, we had a gene 25 years ago. We just celebrating our 25th anniversary yeah. of gene discovery. We only had the first drug that mm. looked after, that can look after mm. about 5 6% of the patients. Where we obviously trying to find additional drugs to treat the rest of the patient groups. Now, for a disease like uh, psychiatric diseases, it is not a single disease but a collection. And also, it's not a single gene, but uh, not looking at gene mutations either. So different gene activities, so, so the treatment is that definitely is going to be more difficult. But uh, we should not uh, sort of stop here because it's difficult. Instead, we should find more information about mm. it and then the, uh, combining the uh, uh, observation in laboratories and the uh, and also the important thing is the understanding of the public. Uh, These complex diseases uh, would be uh, treated. We are not going to be able to eradicate mm. uh, diseases. They're going to be here. But then, uh, how these is going to be treated will very much depend on genetic information. I think, in 10, 20 years' time. Well, it's rather, it's actually rather wonderful to think that this is a field of knowledge that's still actually an infant. It, it's really in the very early stages. Absolutely. So who knows what's coming. Anyway, we, we have used up all our time. Um, many thanks to Chilap Chi and to Pak Sham for talking with us about genomics, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>